today's class. <clears throat> so today we're doing uh, chapter 10, we're carrying on with chapter 10. Um, this is the 37th class in this particular book, just people who want to know. And we're on chapter 10, self-analysis. So this chapter is talking about looking within. Most of the time in our life, we're extroverted. We only look out. Very rarely do we look within, in, become introverted. We never ask, who am I? What makes me function? What is the purpose of life? So the whole spiritual exercise is to change our focus from looking out to looking in. So the next topic we're going to look at now is the role and purpose of religion. We, we, I don't have to explain what religion is. We all know what religion is. So we discuss what is the role of religion? What is the purpose? Yeah, it's quite enlightening actually when we uh, discuss this. So Ravi, you're going to read from Drift in Religion. Okay, yeah, we'll start. Drift in religion. Religion is meant to impart the knowledge of God. Knowledge of the supreme self within you. The homogeneous being that resides in every living creature. In the world today, there is hardly any spiritual education. Religion has been reduced to mere maxim and mandate. Free thinking has been stifled strangled and people have lost their reason their independent judgment the natural growth in spirituality has been stunted by false doctrine and dogma the well-meaning custodians of religion have turned the masses into spiritual pygmies I think uh, it says you're unmuted by host, so you can hear me now? Can you hear me? Okay, I think Ravi maybe you might have accidentally muted me. So what's that um, paragraph saying, guys? What's that paragraph saying about religion? It's saying, Religion is supposed to give you the knowledge of God, the self within. We all agree with that, right? This is the purpose of religion. They're saying this isn't the case in this day and age. Hardly any religion talks about this. 
religion doesn't encourage the followers to think freely for themselves. Instead, they merely instruct people to follow do's and don'ts laid down by religious books or by leaders. The followers are genuinely interested. It's not the followers' fault. The followers are genuinely interested in developing spiritually. But this is what religion is doing these days. Anyone disagree? This is what it's saying. It's supposed to teach us about God, the self. It doesn't do this anymore. Here's an example, paragraph two, Ravi. There is a heartless, unnatural practice in plant culture known as bonsai. Bonsai are miniaturized trees. 300-year-old cedars and pines have been kept dwarf as onion plant. This is done by cutting the inner rootlets. When the roots are not allowed to strike deep into the soil, the trees cannot shoot high into the air. Likewise, when you do not penetrate deep into the core of your personality, you remain spiritually dwarfed. This is the present trend in religion. So he's saying, give an example of the bonsai tree, it's not encouraged to grow. They cut the roots to keep the tree really small. We all know what a bonsai tree is, yeah? They look like the real, they look like a proper tree, but it's like 10 inches tall. So similarly, we are not taught to go inwards, to look inside the core of our personality, Atman. So this has actually stopped people developing spiritually in the true sense. There is hardly any spiritual education. Instead, people are just confused when it comes to spirituality. Everyone with me? Okay. This is a very sort of temperamental subject, so any clarifications, just ask, yeah? Ravi. People all over the world allow themselves to be influenced by views and opinions of others. They accept religious teachings blindly. Few get to the merit of religion. If religion is to purify and bring about human evolution, it has to be inquired into, judged and accepted on its own merit, not on authority. Your approach to religion should be to get to the depth of knowledge. Herein, examine it per se, judge it on its own merit. Do not accept anything because it was laid down by sages and saints. If you adopt their declarations mechanically, you flout the fundamental principles of religion. You miss the spirit of religion. You 
would do well to take up religion as you would science or mathematics. Study its subject matter carefully. Reflect upon it over and over again. Understand it thoroughly. Apply the knowledge gained in your practical life. The knowledge thus tested becomes your own. This is how it should be, they're saying. Don't be influenced by others' opinion. Which is a strange thing to say. Saying you should, you should approach religion and study it like science or maths. Any idea why that is? Why science and maths? Because it's fact. When you do science and maths, it's uh, factual. Becomes factual. Okay, factual. Okay. And it's derived from somewhere. From somewhere. Okay. Anybody else? Why like science and maths? Any ideas? Is it because you can establish concrete evidence to an equation or something like that? Perfect. Yeah. See, when you study uh, these subjects, science, maths, you do experiments, you look at the result, then you make a decision if that formula works or not. Yeah, this is how we do, this is how we approach these subjects. So similarly, they're saying we need to gain the knowledge and apply it, experiment with it in our life. If it makes sense, then you accept it. If not, then you leave it. This way we live by these principles. We live by them in our life, everyday life. You make this knowledge your own, of your own experiences, not because someone says it. See, if you establish, if you take in a piece of knowledge, you experiment with it, you put, then you apply it in your life, it makes it yours. If it makes sense, you accept it. Otherwise you leave it. Knowledge now becomes part of your own experiences. For example, we learn from this knowledge that sense objects does not bring you happiness. So you then experiment with it, simple. You find out for yourself. Get three bars of your favorite chocolate, eat the first one, eat the second one, See if the third one gives you the same amount of pleasure as the first one. Yeah. Now you understand the principle that you don't gain happiness from sense objects. It's a simple example, but it portrays what we're trying to say here. Sense objects does not give you true happiness. Because if it did, then you should gain the same level and amount of happiness for each bar of chocolate. As you have more, it, the, 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 the happiness diminishes. You have the fourth one, you can't even eat it now. You feel sick. Why? The bar of chocolate is the same. So now you've understood that maybe there is something in, in it. Maybe there's something in it. Yeah. It makes sense. This is a simple example. So now you live by it. 
You only have one bar of chocolate. So what is everyone doing? They follow blindly teachings of spiritual heads and take this teaching as fact rather than think for themselves. This is what's happening. Spiritual leader says, don't eat three bars of chocolate. You ask why? Because it is written here. So just don't ask, just follow it. It's a silly example, but it portrays what we're trying to say here. Why should I not eat three bars of chocolate? It's written here. That's it. How does it help you grow spiritually? Dharmesh, how does that grow, help you grow spiritually? It doesn't, unless it's explained why. And you're allowed to th think freely. Question. In most religions you are, because you can always ask. If you want to know. But, this but, is the problem. Like, but like everything, you know, like this. If you don't want to know the answer, you know, you just go there, you sit there, you pray, and you come back home. You accept it. You accept what someone is saying to you. Yeah. This is the problem. See, if you think about it, what is the difference between a religious leader and a follower? Anyone? What is the difference, Deepa? Knowledge. Perfect. The only difference between you and the person is knowledge. You can also learn what he or she has learned. For example, the difference between myself and all of you is I have spent more time and effort learning this subject. That's all. If you put more time and effort than me, you would know more. It's that simple, isn't it? This is the problem. So, yeah, I'm a, sorry, question. Yeah, but uh, you too are a follower. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So everyone, uh, everyone who, who looks to somebody else, they themselves are a follower of another. Absolutely. But what we're saying here is that don't accept anything blindly. Think for yourself. Reason. This is the difference. Everyone is a follower because we want to learn from others' experiences. But that doesn't mean you stop thinking. This is the difference. Ravi. Is it you, Ravi, or is it... Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, no, sorry. Um, religion today is far from reaching the objective. This is an inversion of a natural order. The self is being made a slave to the ghost of old books. Well-meaning preceptors have wasted their time torturing old texts to squeeze out the truth, which was a matter of their personal experience. 
Others tried to force their own meaning from those lifeless words. There are religious practitioners who swear by Bashir's commentaries, which are more complicated than the original text. They place the study of language and text higher than the truths herein and merely stuff the mind with authorities and quotations. Consequently, their intellects have stopped functioning. The well-meant efforts have retarded rather than advanced human progress towards God-realization. So you got to understand here, we're not criticizing here, yeah? we're just evaluating the situation in this current age, the role that religion is playing. Yeah, that's all we're doing. So we're saying that the religion has lost its meaning these days. People are more interested in and give greater merit to the text and its commentaries rather than what the texts are supposed to reveal. They complicate things. People add their own bit to it. See, if everyone adds every generation their own bit, the purity of the knowledge is gone. We forget what the whole point was for that religion. Some have access to books, but they add things to it rather than just to teach the truth that's contained in it. We get involved in the teaching rather than what is taught. He talks so well. The way he sings the bhajan is amazing. But we forget what the actual bhajan is talking about, what the text the verse is talking about. Does that make sense? So people are so confused, there's hardly any spiritual development these days. See, some of you are real, really spiritual people who go to temple and, you know, um, follow that path. You should really be developing. You should see your development. You should be able to gauge your development. And that's not happening because you're not evolving. This is a problem. Your thinking hasn't changed. Your attitude hasn't changed. You're still the same person as when you started. Yeah, a few changes, but nothing major. If you're not developing, then what's the point? It's like going to a gym every day, but you're still the same weight, no difference. What's the point? You need to change the way you exercise in the gym. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but this is exactly what's happening. Any questions? Make now. Sorry, Sheila, when you got the question? Uh, yes, but doesn't it also alters as you move away from your roots of uh, 
living and then culturally you you make a few tweaks and changes to adjust to how you feel about it and what sense you make of it. But if you're not thinking and you're not taught to think, then how would you do that? Yeah, like I said, you make a few changes. There will be changes, yeah. of course there will be. But there won't be the dramatic changes. It's like you want to lose 10 kilos, but you've lost half a pound. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. you have to work in it. Yeah, you have to work so, at it. This is the point. This is what we're saying. There will be yeah. changes, but not the, the changes that should happen. This is what we're yeah. saying. Make that. Therefore, you must approach religion with your head and heart. Be free to think, use reason to arrive at your own conclusion. But the unfortunate trend these days is to boost up the image of a personality and thoughtless people rely on his authority. Take matters too much on trust. They depend on outside forces to do their thinking. Thus, let themselves be hypnotized by others' views and opinions. This is spiritual suicide, the bane of all religion. So he's saying people are keen to rise up a figure or image of a religious personality and then follow his authority, rather than use their own intellect to think. You must think, reason and judge for yourself, and not let others do the thinking for you. Come to your own conclusion. You can take guidance from spiritual teachers. You have to, because you don't know it. We are ignorant. We have to bow down and learn from learned people. But what happens, we become a slave to them in saying, don't do that. Take the knowledge. Think about it. Experiment with it. Then apply it. This is how you should approach it. This is what they're saying. So what do we do? We prop them up, bow down to them, which you should. And then whatever they say, you listen to without thinking. This is spiritual suicide, they're saying. Unless you think for yourself, you won't develop. It's no one's fault. Please, this isn't blaming anyone. It's just the evolvement of religion. Just analyzing what's going on these days. So don't become a slave to them. Take in whatever they're saying and think about it. Make now. The enlightened souls attain the supreme state by their own efforts. So must you. You may take guidance from spiritual masters, but not enslave yourself. The religious leaders in the world 
have virtually destroyed the growth of spirituality, especially among the youth, by forcing their own religious beliefs indiscriminately upon the masses and insisting they observe obsolete codes of conduct. Do not let yourself be influenced by their imperative commandments. Rise above such unnatural influence. Strive hard on your own to get to the spirit of religion and gain the same knowledge of the living present rather than burying yourself in the dead past. So think for yourself, you can develop spiritually yourself. They can do it, why can't we do it? There's no difference between us and them. Is there any difference between us and them? We have a body, we have a mind, we have an intellect, we have the Atman enlivening us. What's the difference? There is no difference. So you got to remember, a lot of these religions came about when there was not so much education. People were not able to think for themselves thousands of years ago. So following do's and don'ts may have worked in that time. You know, there had to be. Otherwise, people wouldn't know how to behave, how to act. So they would have to be told, do this, don't do that. But these days, everyone is educated to a certain degree. Everyone here has been to school. So then how can that, what they applied then, how can they apply that now? You see the difference? They were, that religion was begun and given to a certain mass of people at that particular time. And it was developed to be given at that particular time. Times have changed. You can't accept the same principles given 2,000 years ago. So you can think and make decisions in other areas of your life. Why not in religion? Why do we have to sell our rights when it comes to spirituality? It's interesting, isn't it? If we analyze it. Yeah, I'm a... What um, probably all of us need to think about is um, <clears throat> why is it that we need a Brahman to get us married? Because Brahmins were educated, like you said, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and they took advantage of that fact by the uneducated, telling them that they have to pay a fee, they have to either give food or money, yeah, and to this day, still carrying on. You question those. Well, you have a choice. You can get married in a court marriage and not do that. So you have a choice, <laughs> if that's how we feel. <laughs> no, but there were no court courts then. <laughs> I know, but you're right. You're absolutely right. But what we're saying is don't blindly follow. Think about it. This is all we have to do, think, before we act in all areas. We do that in all areas of our life. 
He's saying apply the same reason and logic to when it comes to religion and spirituality. That's all. Why do we sell ourselves when it comes to that? We shouldn't. Any clarifications on that topic? Yeah, Ravi. Understanding the topic and obviously where religion is, unfortunately, I mean, now analyzing it a bit more, your, what you've been taught is actually to practice external procedures and processes instead of looking within. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like rituals we follow, um, even like to the daily readings that you may do. You, as you, I mean, just more of an observation and the question is like, for example, when we go on Saturdays, you read Hanuman Chalice and you just narrate, narrate, narrate. You don't take the time out to actually see what each text refers to and so forth. But when you do, obviously, when you start gaining the knowledge and you actually feel a bit more, what's the word? spiritual, a bit more positive when you are actually reading the text once you understand the meaning. So a lot of the religions I found or, you know, growing up is external behavior. Instead of saying, you know, be at peace within, it's more do this external. You actually, practices are based on ex external movements and practices. So what Ravi is saying is that until now, we've been doing things mechanically. Yeah, we haven't been questioning it. We're just doing it because we've been told to do it. And now you're thinking about it. That's why it's making a difference. You understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. You understand the purpose of it. I need to develop my spirit, my de develop my devotional side. So let me sing some bhajans. I'm lacking in devotion. I need to do some karma selfless service because I think I'm slightly selfish as a person. You're making decisions based on your understanding and knowledge now. That's the difference. A little bit of knowledge and you start evaluating. This is exactly what we're saying we should be doing. Thinking about what we, why we're doing things. And this is what it's encouraging. And this is what religions are not encouraging. That's the only difference. Kevil, make sense, Bijal? Good. Any other clarifications to that? Okay. So we'll continue with the next topic, the problem of inversion. This whole chapter is about self-analysis. We're discussing what's going on inside and, and, so, and, and the effects that spirituality has. Migna. The problem of introversion. The attractions of the world are tantalizing. Human beings, ignorant of their inner wealth, are drawn towards them. Hence, the human tendency is to be extrovert. You are unaware of your infinite power within and seek power in the external world. So are you ignorant of your infinite joy within and seek joy in the, in the world outside. Likewise, ignoring the infinite knowledge of yourself, 
you seek knowledge externally. The kingdom of heaven lies within you, yet you pursue the world for precious trifles. The paradox arises from the problem of turning introvert. Rare indeed is the one who looks within oneself. Unless you look within, you will not recognize the inherent desires that veil the self, much less realize the infinite nature of yourself. So unless you look within, you won't develop. So that's why we need to change our focus. See what's happening is we have these inherent desires due to our past actions. Yeah, listen, listen to this carefully. We have these inherent desires due to our past actions. Past actions have been all extroverted. So we develop the desires to experience the external world. And that makes us more extrovert. So there's no desires to be introvert, to look within. Then you get involved in the activity of the world. Perceptions, emotions, thoughts. We then chase the world for trivial experiences. Why? It gives us immediate pleasure. That is the problem. So we start running after these instant pleasures. We want a quick fix. This is the problem. That's why we're so extroverted. Our desires are all extroverted. One desire after another. And we've got used to these instant fixes. These trivial, trivial experiences. So we've got to reverse the process. This is what we are learning in this class. As I said in the beginning, the whole exercise of spirituality is changing your focus from the world, extrovertedness, to within, introvertedness. Saying it is very rare to find a person who looks within themselves. See, whatever problems we're having now, you step back, think about what are my problems, and you'll have an answer. You learn to look within, you will get the answer. You look out, you will not get the answer. We jump after sense objects, not understanding that it will not give us true happiness, pleasure or peace. See, everything in the world is finite, has a sell-by date. The self is infinite, no sell-by date. So the finite can never give you the pleasure you're looking for because you are infinite. You are the self. Nothing in the world can compare to that. So we lose our objectivity. We love to laze in life, not exercise. We then have problems later on in life. To do exercise is not nice in the beginning. 
who eat the wrong type of food. Junk food is a great pleasure in the beginning. The problems happen later, diabetes, obesity. So you have to check all this for our own good. So extrovertedness have its problems. What we don't like, we leave. What we like, we embrace. We can't go by our likes and dislikes. This is the mind. Most people believe money brings happiness. This is not true. Ask the people who have money, and they'll tell you if they are happy or not. See, even having money is a problem. You have money, you can afford everything. Because of that, you lose the enjoyment. You have money, you can eat out in fancy restaurants every day. After a while, you lose the enjoyment of eating out. You become neutralized to that experience. Just give me kichikari. See, if you save up to go on a special occasion, how much you enjoy that experience? You go to your favorite restaurant once every three months. So having money is not bad, but to enjoy your money, you have to learn to regulate your experiences in life, no matter what it is. You have to learn to regulate eating, traveling, buying stuff. Otherwise, you lose the enjoyment. You have to regulate. You have to moderate, restrict yourself. Then you enjoy these things throughout your life. It sounds contradictory. To enjoy, you have to restrict. Sounds contradictory, doesn't it? See, to enjoy, you have to restrict. It sounds contradictory, but this is how it is. See, it's the same example of chocolate. You have one bar of chocolate once a week, you enjoy it. You have three in one go, you don't enjoy it. If you restrict, just because you can afford it, you can afford 50 bars of chocolate, does that mean you're going to eat them? You lose the enjoyment. So you have to moderate, I'll have one a week. Then it will give you the same satisfaction every week. Bhagavad Gita chapter 18, verse 37. This isn't us saying it, it's in the Bhagavad Gita, yeah? So you might be saying, well, this guy's talking about all this, but where's the proof? So I'll have to recite this verse for you so you have some evidence. So Bhagavad Gita chapter 18, verse 37, it says, Yata da grevishamiva pariname mritopamam Tatsukam satvikam prokam atma buddhi prasadajam. What is like poison in the beginning and nectar in the end, that happiness is declared sattvika, a blessing born from clarity of one's intellect. Sattvika happiness, which is the highest happiness, is defined as that which feels like poison in the beginning and ends as nectar. Happiness derived from pursuit of the Supreme Self. As your mind turns from the world to the self, inwards, it becomes relatively calm. With a calm mind, your intellect develops clarity. 
You then understand the limitations of material acquisition and sensual pleasure. Your intellect does not allow the mind to indulge in them. So there we go. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. You can all check it out. So the same example, you don't like going to the gym. Initially, it's like poison. Oh, I can't do it. But later on, you enjoy it. Poison in the beginning, nectar in later. You feel fit, you have a lot of energy. You feel great. Nectar. Similarly, you eat, uh, you eat junk food. Great in the beginning, but afterwards it becomes poison. So Bhagavad Gita is saying, whatever is bad for you, makes you feel bad in the beginning, is good for you later on. Morning study, you think, well, I can't wake up. No way. But you start doing it, it becomes nectar later on. You, you don't understand until you do it. You won't understand it. Same thing. Gives you the clarity to think, control your life. Makes you become objective, not impulsive. If you're objective, you're able to control your desires. If you're impulsive, then you're taken for a ride. How do you become objective? What is objectivity, anyone? What is objectivity? When you question things. When you question things. Yeah, you're halfway there. What is objectivity? Kevo? Yeah. I was going to say, uh, to not just accept things blindly, sort of question them. So from a, from a, I guess from a natural or baseline platform, not having a biased opinion or anything. Yeah. Dermish. Using your knowledge. Using your knowledge. Intellect controlling the mind is objectivity. The mind says, I want to do this. Intellect has to kick in and be objective about the situation. No, not right now. I want to lay in bed. No, it's time to go to the gym. Objectivity. I want to sleep at midnight. No, we've got to get up in the morning and study. Objectivity. 9.30. That's objectivity. The mind will throw things at you. If the intellect is strong enough, you control that, then that's objectivity. And the thing is, the goals are set by you, no one else. <laughs> you have set those goals. I am the one, you're the one who paid for gym membership. So you've decided you want to go. <laughs> And then yourself is stopping you. Who's stopping you? Just yourself. Your mind is stopping you. You have decided. See, when you decided, the intellect was thinking, I need to go gym. My weight is increased. I'm not fitting into this shirt anymore. I need to go and lose some weight. And my BP is high as well. Okay, I need to go gym. So you've decided. Then you yourself is stopping yourself. So that's lack of objectivity. 
So the intellect controlling the mind is objectivity. That's why we need to study in the morning. Question everything. Don't take anything for granted. This builds our intellect. We are now learning to think for ourselves. See, the thing is, we have to learn to be objective, to be happy and successful in life. Opposite being impulsive and emotional. You make decisions that are based on your emotions. Impulsive. You can never turn out right unless there's some thinking behind those actions. You want to cross the road, bus coming. I'll make it. Mind says you'll make it. Run. Intellect says, you know, there's no hurry. I'll wait till the bus goes. It's a simple example, but this, this is everything. This happens to us all the time. Yeah. One action could kill you. Next, the other action, you're chilled. Simple thing. That's a simple example. I don't want to go into any detailed examples. You can apply your own examples to yourself. See, life and death, so close. One decision. Let me overtake that guy. He's driving so slow. One decision. Can get into trouble. Any questions? The extroverted nature makes it difficult for you to investigate your weaknesses and take corrective measures. Instead, you find faults in others. You are able to do this with ease, but your own imperfections, even if they be several times magnified, remain obscure. This grave flaw in human beings is well brought out by John Gay in his poem, The Turkey and the Ant. The poet describes a turkey in a barn, tired of eating grain. It decided to leave the barn and seek a variety of food. The young ones followed the mother bird they soon reached a hill full of black ants. The turkey started devouring them and bid her young ones eat freely. For breakfast, they consumed num numberless ants. The turkey was quite unaware of the massacre it was committing. Ironically, it cursed man for gluttony in consuming turkey for Christmas a sin that seemed nothing compared to its devastating consumption for a breakfast. The poem highlights this problem of recognizing one's own, own faults. The so, poem. so because of our extroverted nature, we are unable to see and correct the fault in our personality because we're not, we're not used to looking within. We're not used to seeing ourselves from inside. 
it's easy for us to see others' faults. That we find very easy. He's like that, she's like that. But it's difficult for you to look at your own faults. So this poem we're going to read, it portrays this, the turkey in the end. So a turkey with his young ones left the barn since it had a desire for a different variety of food. It, even though it had plenty of grain in the barn, they were tired of eating the same food. So the turkey says to his young, come on, let's go, we'll find some different food. This same grain every day, this is tiring. So they find these, mil uh, these ants, millions of black ants. So they start to eat them for their breakfast. So while eating, the, the turkey has another desire. How great it would be if we could escape the butcher's knife. And he curses man for eating turkey every Christmas. Says it's the worst crime of all crimes of the, all the deadly sins that man does gluttony. So an ant who sort of escaped, hears the turkey and answers back and brings the turkey's attention to its own crime its own mistake, that you're committing this heinous crime, but you can't see what you're doing, eating a whole nation of ants and you're just for breakfast and you're complaining about others. So I'll read the poem. In other men we faults can spy and blame the moat that dims their eye. Each little speck and blemish find to our own stronger errors blind. A turkey, tired of common food, forsook the barn and sought the wood. Behind her ran her infant train, collecting here and there a grain. Draw near, my birds, the mother cries. This hill, delicious, fair supplies. Behold the busy Negro race. See millions blacken all the place. Fear not, like me, we freedom eat, and ant is most delightful meat. How blessed, how envied were our life, could we but scape the polter's knife. But man, cursed man on turkey's prey, and Christmas shortens all our days. Sometimes with oysters we combine, sometimes assist the savory chine. From the low peasant to the lord, the turkey smokes on every board. Sure, men for gluttony are cursed, of the seven deadly sins the worst. An ant who climbed beyond her reach, thus answered from the neighboring breach, Here you remark another sin, bid thy own conscience look within, control thy more voracious bill, nor for a breakfast nations kill. So that's the poem. Look at, we look, we, it's easy for us to look at others' negative issue, problems and faults, but we can't look within. We can't see our own faults. They may be greater than the faults that others, is, others are committing. So the poem refers to nature of desires and how they are insatiable. And the second message the poem portrays is we find faults easy in other people no matter how small, to fail to see even greater faults within us. The turkey was slaughtering millions of ants, 
he could not comprehend that instead he complained about the fault in man that only kills one turkey a year. Any questions on the poem? Does everyone understand the poem? Easy to find faults in others. Our fault may be 10 times worse. Damish, you had a question? Thank you. You should therefore refrain from finding flaws in others, criticizing others' failings. Behind every flaw you recognize in another, perhaps you have the same more pronounced in you. Do not consume your life merely detecting the blemishes in the outside world. Judge not others, cautioned Lord Jesus. The energy you waste in judging others could as well serve to improve yourself. Moreover, by blaming the vice in others, you miss their virtues. You become involved in negativities and lose the positive side of life. Do not give up the rose for its thorns. You would soon realize the wisdom in, resound, in the resounding words of Edward Wallace Hopp. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. There you have it. We tend to live life being extroverted, find it difficult to be introverted. Must learn not to be concerned with others' faults. Use that energy to find the faults within and deal with them. We give up the rose for the thorn. We only see the thorns, not the rose. Edras Wallis Hoch. There is so much good in the worst of us, so much bad in the best of us. It hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. So don't bother worrying about other people. Why? Any idea? What have you understood? Yeah. Looking at others doesn't help yourself looking for your own inner peace. You should spend more time on yourself because that's where inner peace is. Doesn't help you in any way. Looking at others' faults. How does that help you? Work on your own faults. Rectify them. There's enough of there, trust me. All of us have enough faults. Why not work on them instead of thinking of others? See, now you have a bit of knowledge. Everyone Everyone lives their lives based on their own vastness. How can you change that? Only they can change it. You're wasting your time. Spend that time 
for your own benefit. Develop yourself. Any questions? That's the uh, end. That's as far as I'm going to take it today. There's a lot we covered. A lot to think about. A lot to understand. We'll take up any questions on either today's class or previous classes. Ravi. I think since we started this topic, I just wanted to um, obviously, the word introvert, normally we refer it to someone that's quite recluse, quiet, keeps away from social. Um, but in this one, the word being used is really just to look within. It's not describing anything other than that. Am I right? Yeah. Introvert in the normal sense that you've described is just someone's nature is such. Yeah. It doesn't make him spiritual. <laughs> Yeah, just because is 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 it doesn't is not outwards expressive. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make him spiritual. This is something an exercise we have to perform to look within. What are my desires? I am the Atman. Enlivens me. Okay, how does that work? They say vasanas, desires envelope the self, and to reduce my vasanas takes me back to the self. Now you're thinking introvertedness. You're thinking within. What are my faults? How many people will say, what are my faults? Let me examine my faults today. That's being introverted. Okay, I get angry very quickly. Let me work on that. That's being introverted. That's, that's correcting, developing yourself. I think I'm quite selfish. Let me work on being unselfish. These are all attributes of your personality. We're not saying, you know, there's a lot of negativities in all our personalities. Because this is what we need to work on to develop spiritually. None of us are perfect. If we were, we'd be self-realized. So that's the difference between the introvert you're talking about and what's mentioned in the book. Is that clear? Right? Any other clarifications? Okay, well, I see a question for me. Deepa? Is everything clear? Yeah, make me. How do you, because um, a lot of people do things out of fear in religion to not, for not, if they don't do it, something bad will happen. How do you extinguish that fear? Is it just knowing that it's not going to help you in a positive way or? So how do you deal with fear? Is the, so you didn't come across uh, properly when you were talking. Oh, sorry. As in, a lot of people do things in religion 
out of fear for not doing them. So, you know, you've been told to do them like rituals. If you don't do them, something bad might happen. So how do you eliminate that in people? Good question. Anybody? How do you eliminate that? The fear aspect of religion. If you don't this, you will go to hell. You do this every day. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, I think it's just knowledge. So a lot of people who would fear is because they have a lack of knowledge and understanding. Um, and if you have that knowledge and understanding, uh, you wouldn't fear it, right? It's like when you're young, you know, they say, don't walk under a ladder. You get bad luck. It's same thing, isn't it? You fear something which is unwarranted. It's not, there's no actual evidence to it. Friday the 13th. There's no evidence that Friday the 13th is bad. If there is, then of course you would fear it. So it's knowledge, as Carol said, you have to have knowledge. People who don't have knowledge will fear. And that is control. Superstitious beliefs. This is all to control people. Or it was given at a time when people weren't able to think. So they're saying, do this. A lot of superstitions have a foundation behind it. But what's happened is the foundation has been lost why it was created. And we only deal with the ritual now, the superstition. We don't know why. We forget the reason why it was created. I'm sure when people created uh, certain uh, rituals and acts, there was a reasoning behind it because the people weren't thinking, do this and everything will be fine. But now there's thinking, thought behind it. Cool. So I have a follow on question. Yes. Um, so we say like, you know, like, in history or in, in those days, there were, there were certain rituals uh, that were imparted due to the circumstance in those days. Um, a lot of them we probably follow now, but sometimes like I struggle to understand why. For example, uh, it's Chaturmas at the moment, so you know, the four months, and there's a ritual that says that we shouldn't eat brinjals, right? Because brinjals in in those days in that particular part of the world would have insects inside them right and so we shouldn't eat them because we'd be committing a sin by killing those insects right but in today's day, day and age with our farming methods and you know crops coming from everywhere is it like to me it doesn't seem suitable to sort of follow that absolutely because you're thinking now you put reason and thought behind the, the whole situation you on that ritual you said right this is the reason they probably did it, but now that it's not, it's no point following that same reasoning here. Now, so you've answered that question yourself. So knowledge, logic, thinking, reasoning. This is all we need to do. A lot of the rituals, as you said, would have had some sort of fact behind it, but we've forgotten that, and we're just practicing the ritual now. So all there for a reason. The rituals were there for a reason. And they're still performed everywhere in, in abroad, in India and places like that. But if you think about it logically then, and you feel that there's no need for me to follow it anymore because circumstances have changed, then why would you? 
knowledge and thinking. Vishay, did you have a question? Yeah. Um, so when you said um, with like people doing rituals with consequences such as, you know, if you do this, you're going to go to hell or if you don't do this. In those sorts of cases, there is no factual evidence that you can base it on because the, the situation and the, the situation they've made out is you're only, you're only going to know when you're dead. Absolutely. In, in that case, you, what, what can you do then? It's fear, basically. You have to think about it. What, what is the logic and reasoning behind it? Is there a heaven and hell? Okay, yeah. I guess you need to think about that for yourself first yeah. and decide if you want to. Is there a heaven and hell? Is it a geograph geographical places? <laughs> you know, it's just, um, you know, there's no thought behind it. That's the thing. There's no questioning and you're not allowed to question. And even if you question, the person may not know the answer because he's also followed it blindly. Mm -hmm. This is the problem, you see. It's no one's fault. Right. The knowledge, once again, okay, if you don't have the knowledge, you then may believe it. I don't want to go to hell. Is that fear? Hmm? Yeah, I mean, now you know from studying, Hell is when you're agitated. Mental agitations is you're in hell. Yeah? When there's no agitations, you're in heaven. You feel good. Then now you have the understanding, then you know that there is no place that's heaven and hell. The self is in all of us. Atman is in all of us. There's nowhere to go. Any other questions? Shalom, you have a question? So please mis don't misunderstand, we're not here to criticize religion. Yeah? We're just analyzing what religion is, this day and age. Yeah? And you gotta remember one thing, yeah? Rituals, for example, yeah? If rituals were not there, this knowledge would not be alive now. It's the rituals that have kept the knowledge going, this knowledge. So, because this knowledge is thousands of years old, 10,000 years old, you know, people were not able to, were not educated, could not think. So, they gave out all these rituals so that one day someone will say, why am I doing this? And then they may even go to the knowledge. So it's the rituals that have kept the knowledge going. So we're not ridiculing rituals, but there's a time and place for everything. This is what we're saying. Now we're all educated, we're thinking. We can understand the knowledge. Does that make sense? So we're not criticizing every, anything here. Not religion, not rituals. Everything has a time and place. But these are all rungs on a ladder to move to the knowledge. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. You may still be at rituals. Then you start questioning, then you go up. What is this? Why am I doing this? What's heaven and hell? You open a book and you find out, okay, this is what heaven and hell is. They're not places. This is mental agitation. You have, you're now moving up to knowledge. 
So we all have to start from somewhere. If we weren't doing rituals, today we may not be here. And if that makes sense. Okay. So, so what we're saying is that rituals are not necessarily sort of like a bad thing. It's sort of making sure that when performing them, you understand them. Yeah, but most people performing them don't understand it. It's the, when you start questioning it, then you understand, I don't need rituals anymore because I understand the knowledge behind the ritual. Okay. Yeah. Once you know the knowledge behind the ritual, why would you want to do the ritual? You have the understanding. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. Certain rituals are necessary though, right? Sorry? Certain rituals are necessary though? It depends. Marriage. Sitl is saying certain rituals are necessary, like marriage. It all depends on your belief, isn't it? You may go to court marriage, civil wedding, and not do a ritual. It's up to your level of understanding and belief. You may be spiritually inclined and think, no, I better do the Indian way as well. And do and that's fine. It all depends where you are your level of understanding. I'm not saying one, you shouldn't do the other. It all depends on you. This is the English way. I need to do, I'm an Indian. I need to do the Indian way as well. Uh, talking about the ritual of weddings, it, it's just a form of witnessing. Is people witnessing yeah. that uh, these two are getting married and obviously announcing, announcement that uh, they are partners. But you could be living together and not be married and still be partners. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. Without going into detail, you have to evaluate for yourself. Yeah. What is, a, what is worth doing, what isn't doing. Depends on your own personality and your own understanding. So we're not condemning, but what we're saying is knowledge is... From rituals, the development is towards knowledge. This is what we need to understand. It's a natural development. This is what we need to take from this. I'm not condemning anything. Because if we didn't have all those things, we wouldn't be here today. This knowledge wouldn't be here today. It'd have been lost. So in fact, if it apply, if you are, if it applies to you at that time, and you do it, it's fine if it helps you. There's nothing wrong with doing it. This is what we're yeah. saying. There's nothing wrong in doing any ritual. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. You're not going to become nothing negative is going to come out of it. They're all there for a reason. But you should understand what you're doing. This is what we're saying. The reasoning behind it. Why am I doing this? Why am I fasting today? There should be a reason behind it. And if that reason agrees with your intellect, then you do it. If it doesn't reason with it, then you decide to do it or not. You don't do it because someone tells you to do it. Why should I do it? Well, I don't know. Everyone does it. That's not a good enough reason, is it? That's what we're doing. Thinking. See, we're all, everything is about thinking. Use your intellect. Ravi.
We've just done like same when when we do pujas and you know as you said that's a ritual as well but you're doing when you get a house you do a puja and all that so it's blessings if you don't do it i think some people said it's more the fear factor you believe at the back of your head that something's bad going to happen or there's another thing is that if i don't do it what would others say if i don't get married with a ceremony what would others say um but also the positive side of pujas and that is to allow you to, as you said, to reflect and question. If they weren't there, you wouldn't even have, a, you know, if you're getting married, you want to know why you got, why the procedure is happening, why you walk around the fire. It's allowing you to think. So, so another a positive side is as long as you're thinking about it and learning why you're doing it, then it's a positive ritual because it's getting you closer beyond that. Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole chapter on rituals in Bhagavad Gita. When, when we do that, we'll study it. So it's, 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 not a, it's not a negative thing. But what we're saying is there's a hierarchy. You should, you should um, develop from that. You should have an understanding of it. This is spiritual development. Yeah, you can't follow things without knowing why you're following. It will, it will help you to grow. You have to rely on Brahman. You don't even know what he's saying anyway. He's just saying, all right, now do this. Okay, now do that. Throw this in the fire. Why are you firing? Why are you throwing? You don't know. No one asks. So learn. Why, why are you doing it? This is what they're saying. How is this going to help me? It just, otherwise, you're just racing, wasting grain unnecessarily. You can feed the poor with it. If it makes logical reason, sense, then you do it. This is thinking, spirituality, developing spiritually. Any final, any other final questions? So think about it, what we've covered today. Wednesday, we got the group discussion. Everyone should join us. It's becoming more like a class nowadays than a group discussion, but it's really, it's. It's working out quite, it's working quite well. Everyone's enjoying themselves and learning. Platform for you to talk about the subject as well. Now, next Sunday, um, at this moment in time, we're gonna say there's no class because uh, Swamiji, who wrote this book and this, the ashram where I studied, uh, Vedanta Academy in Pune, um, Swamiji is giving a talk next week on Sunday at 2 p.m. online. It's a live talk. He's 93 years old now. Um, and he's, he's doing, I forget the topic now. Um, and um, I want everyone to watch it. Yeah. Um, and having a class and then watching that, it's a bit too much back to back. So we've decided that it's better that we just do the, um, watch the um, Swamiji's talk. I'll give you further instructions on that uh, earlier this week. Monday, Tuesday, I'll put the, on the group. So there won't be a, a class as normal, but um, everyone should use the opportunity to listen to the lecture. I think it's for an hour, yeah, two to three. It's gonna be uh, worldwide. So because of the lockdown in uh, the area, he's doing it from home. So um, I think it's important that you watch it and you can see where the inspiration has come from for this book. You'll meet the person who wrote the book. Some of you may have already heard him. 
Um, and there are lots of uh, videos of him talking in, on YouTube as well, by the way, Swami Patrasati. So you can always look on that, but this is a good opportunity to see him talking live. Is that 2 to 3 p.m. UK time or Indian yeah, time? 2 to 3 I'll put I'll post on the, on the um, WhatsApp group more details. So there won't be a class next Sunday, yeah? But Wednesday we'll have our group discussion as normal. Great. Well, if there's no questions, then um, we'll say have a lovely Sunday, everyone. Thank you.